0: Welcome to Calling Operator. Podcasts where we speak to operators in some of Australia's biggest startups. Find out how they got there and what their impact is. Operator. Connecting to Holly Brooks, Senior Marketing Manager at Startmate. And I am very excited to say welcome to the podcast. Holly,
1: how are you? Thank you, Paloma. great to be here. <laughs> Very well. So let's kick off with just a bit of a context. Where did you grow up
0: and what was early Holly life like?
1: Yeah. So I was born in Sydney, but I spent most of my early years growing up in the Middle East. So I grew up in Doha, Qatar. And I think as I've gotten older, I've really kind of reflected on how much that, that experience had an impact on the trajectory of, of my life and, and my ch- career choices. Yeah, that's why I was there for all of my primary school and I loved it. It was, you know, I was surrounded by people from all around the world. It's where I started studying different languages. I mean, I did a bit of Arabic, not that my Arabic's great. <laughs> and Better than French, which I <laughs> French, which I continued through uh, high school and uni Still so speak. And then, yeah, I came back to Sydney for high school after that, that six or seven year stint in the Middle East went to a all-girls school in Sydney, which I found quite intimidating, I think, coming back from the Middle East. And, you know, I I made some good friends. So were you
0: in the Middle East for obviously your parents' work? Was that kind of the reason that your family were
1: over there? Yeah. So my dad was involved in the Sydney Olympics, the 2000 Olympics uh, project managing the construction of the stadiums at Homebush. And the same people who were kind of involved in that whole construction got asked to come over to Qatar and do the Asian games, which is kind of like the Asian Olympics. So he was pro- we were only supposed to be there for a year and he was just project managing the construction of those stadiums in Doha. But there was just so much work at the time and, you know, it's a completely different country now to, to what it was when we arrived. I remember arriving at the airport there and it was like this tiny little airport with very little customs. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, if any, if you've been through Doha airport recently, it's it's completely changed. No, I haven't been. So, Have you been back as an adult? Yeah. So I went back when I finished school, which is actually perfect timing because they had been year 13. So when I finished year 12, I went back and, and visited the friends that uh, were still there. And most of them have left now because they're, you know, they're all international students for the most part. And even, you know, I was good friends of some people who were from Qatar, but it's kind of a very transient place in the sense that people will leave and, you know, go to college in America or uni in, in the UK. So mm. they're all scattered around the world now. But it was, it's interesting. I feel like when I came back to Australia for high school, I kind of spent a lot of that time feeling a sense of learning for what was what I had known as my home when I was when I was younger and Sydney didn't necessarily yeah, didn't really feel like home when I came back but it was actually a really great experience to to go back when I was 18 and just see how much it had changed and realize that you know it, it was my home at one point in time but it's it it's not my home anymore um it's like a completely different place now like where we used to live is kind of like the old, old town, old, old city of Doha that no one really goes to because it just developed at such a rapid pace.
0: Yeah, I think we all have nostalgia about where we grow up, but it's interesting because yeah. how old were you when you moved over there?
1: Uh, I was six and then I came wow. back when I was 12, yeah. And was it an international school? It was. I mean, it was te- it was actually it was called Doval English Speaking School, <laughs> but so technically a British school, but you know it was international students and and a lot of locals, yeah, just people from all over the world, which I I loved, and I think I mean ultimately I feel like living there, just you're just exposed to the whole world and what's mm. it really I think that's where it sparked my interest in languages and and politics and probably influenced the the decisions I've made after yeah. like when I wanted to study. Yeah, but yeah, it's a very interesting place, very very interesting place, and I think it gave me really great perspective on on people from different backgrounds and and different religions. Um, I think I gained a really huge respect for and under and, and a better understanding of Islam, the religion, for example, which I think you know at the time in the media and kind of still today mm. is misjudged. Yeah, I was actually talking
0: to a friend about this the other day and the importance of exposure when you're a kid. And I mean, this is maybe a slightly controversial opinion, and it's probably not really mine to have. But I was thinking about the the concept of specific religious schools. And I don't love that as a concept, just because I think when I grew up, maybe similar to you, just purely because we, we grew up in the inner city, right? I was exposed to people with Islamic faith, Jewish faith. As a young child, I remember being, like, oh, we'll go up and say hi to Michael at the flower shop early because I know that he's fasting at the moment. <laughs> it's just, yeah. just like a pure acceptance of different people's cultural backgrounds and I think that yeah. having that exposure kind of helps alleviate that ignorance and take away that other aspect. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I think, yeah, especially as kids. Yeah, I'm I'm just certain that there's there's studies that have shown, yeah, the more exposure you have as a child to different, you know, Ethnicities and religions, the more accepting you become as an adult. So, yeah,
0: I, I think it's actually a sad thing about the human psychology that in order for us to understand empathy, there's an exposure element. You know, I always yeah. see these stories yeah. of people that are very anti LGBTI in America and then they have a son or a daughter that comes out and they change their tune. And it makes me kind of happy that obviously everyone's able to grow and change, but also it's sad that you need to know someone to have empathy for another person. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know what you mean. But I mean, that's a really
0: interesting beginning of life. And obviously that would have shaped your political yeah. steering. But definitely as you get older, I think it opens up a lot more doors. So with that kind of in mind, growing up in, in Qatar and then moving back to Australia for high school, can you remember early high school if you had any goal for what you wanted to be
1: when adult? Honestly, it has been a journey and adventure. Yeah. Um, I don't, I wouldn't say, like, I mean, you know, I think in high school, I had thoughts about, you know, what I wanted to do. I do think that it was kind of like I kind of came back and like I transitioned from, you know, like this international community to like Sydney high school and spent a lot of time just trying to figure out where I fit in that. (laughs) Did it feel Um, smaller or bigger? Yeah, it just felt smaller and I think maybe less like the things that I was interested in maybe weren't shared or like understood as much so that was a bit of a journey for me I do think I and then yeah trying to just understand the I don't know social norms because <laughs> it was quite different but I would say in terms of thinking about my career I, I did I like I had thoughts and it's funny I think I ended ultimately ended up doing what I was thinking of doing but I I do question I, I think sometimes i I look back and I maybe was influenced by, you know, the traditional pathways that were, you know, promoted to me and from everyone at was everyone at the school and the teachers mm-hmm. and the parents and, and you kind of just you're young and you don't really know you're getting guidance from, you know, people who are older than you who you are like, Oh yeah, you're you know what you're talking about. But I think as I've, as I've grown older, I've been, I think realistically, I kind of have always known what's right for me. But it's just taken me some time to listen to those instincts. But yeah, I mean, long story short, I think at the time I really wanted to study, like I love art, fine arts. So mm-hmm. that was one option that I was really seriously considering. And then the other was law. Because I- Other yeah, end of the spectrum? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because I've always, I think I've always been, yeah, maybe from that experience as a young girl, interested in what's happening around the world and and justice and and um, doing the right thing. And I think as well, the legal research side of things and writing has always been something. Like I've always loved writing, um, mm. so that was something that I thought about. But then, yeah, when I finished school, I think the fine arts was kind of. I ended up not pursuing fine art. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that was something that was? influenced yeah I think like you just finished school and you're so scared of what do I do and what how can I be successful and you kind of I do think that you're thinking you start thinking about what you should do as opposed to what you want to do I um, mean that was my experience and I was like yeah how am I going to live <laughs>
0: well yeah that was kind of what I was going to ask because you went to a private girls' school and I'm, I'm imagining or assume, I didn't I, I went to a public school and I actually did study fine arts, by the way, that's the reason It's, quite oh, it's interesting helps. to me. <laughs> See, I went to Sydney College of the Arts and studied fine arts, but I was, I felt that my school very much pushed me to do fine arts in the sense that they were like, no, no, this is something you're very good at and you should pursue it. But Sometimes I wonder, like- yeah, but I wonder if, I actually distinctly remember an art teacher telling me, basically, you're, you're 17 years old if you want to go to study finance, do it. It doesn't have to be the last decision that you ever make in your life and it's not going to dictate the rest of your life. And if you want to do something after that, you can. And if you want to take that and just go into the workforce and still do something different, you also can do that. Uh, And I remember that being like quite a liberating piece of advice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, but did you, but I can also imagine with the school that you went to, I wonder if it's also in their best interest to have the alma mater doing certain things that they perceive to be better for the school's reputation. Did you feel at all like you were pushed into studying law? I mean, it no, it was perception?
1: funny because I, oh, no, I always like, I think law had always been an interest to me. I remember, But I do remember going to the career counsellor mm. and them saying, oh, you're never going to get into law. You know, that's just not possible. You need to rethink that to, I don't know, what, I don't know what the alternative was. But, yeah, I, they, I think that, yeah, I think that that's a good, uh, insight in terms of yeah, probably there is a bit of like incentive for them to have their alumni in certain roles. I I think that advice that you got is is advice that I would have loved to have had, but I don't think I think that was kind of probably some of the struggle with school was uh, feeling they didn't advocate for that. I don't know. I feel like I'm again bashing my school.
0: <laughs> no, no, I think you're bashing your school. It's just reflective as an adult, right? And I think I think it, I, I'm going to be go out on a limb and send it Honestly, I think every teacher and every guidance counselor is is just trying to do what is the best thing in the moment for you as well. well I, I don't I don't think that they would have only done it because it's good for the school. I think that yeah. their their perception of what might have made your future more positive, which in turn makes them look more positive, might have just been slightly misaligned with potentially yeah. what you were thinking at the time. But I don't think it's malicious. I mean, I think.
1: yeah no 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 and I think as well but I I feel like along the way I've really learned about a lot about myself and and I mean I probably could have picked up on it in school because you know you you do subjects some subjects you love and you're really passionate about and most of them were the creative ones Mm -hmm. and I would do really excel at them you know like really top marks and then the ones that you know you're not as interested in you're not you're not doing as as well and it took me a little while to figure out that yeah I should be really pursuing I think creativity is something that's really important to me and integrating that into my career in some way is very important. And it's taken me a little while to get there, but I think I'm I'm getting there.
0: So then moving forward, did, so did you end up getting into law? What was the quick quick turnaround on your oh, yeah. to get into law? So, did you show it?
1: Chaos. I I I did a medical science degree. And then I went on a trip to, in the middle of the, the break, I went on a trip to Europe for six weeks. And I was just like, I was in France, I was in Italy, like I was speaking because i had studied French and, mm. and I had like just started learning Italian in speaking just to strangers and <laughs> just blabbing on in French and Italian. And it was so, I just felt alive. And I was like, what am I doing, doing medical science? I need to do languages or international studies. Of some sorts, so I then pursued. I uh, came back, started an international studies degree, studied French and Italian, and philosophy and you know, the humanities, which you know, was amazing. And then randomly, they—I've had some pretty bad experiences with uni. Is, I'll forewarn you. But halfway through that degree, they just cancelled it. Like they just just continued it, and they didn't even tell anyone. And so I, they were just like, "Yeah." So all of your credits are gonna being null and you have to transfer into this other degree and kind of restart. And I was like, that's not cool. Just
0: how many years 10, Thousands of
1: dollars Yeah, how long was well, it? I was you only in it? the first year. So I'd done, I guess, 10 subjects. Um, Still? But yeah, it was uh, pretty savage. So then that's when I was like, okay, well, it's, it's, it's okay, but what do I want to, maybe I want to continue this because I love the language side of the degree, but do I want to start, like, reconsider law? And so then that's when I added law and continued with the international studies but moved to university so i was previously at sydney and then i moved to utf and then and that degree was really exciting because it was a compulsory year away so i started that degree i bought them nail and tooth to get my credits passed over so i didn't have to spend another extra year and then started more which I initially found really difficult I think just rewiring the way you write and and think about things but by the end of it I, I really did love it and then in 2020 had my year abroad oh, to no. Italy
0: <laughs> we all know this story well I yeah. don't know actually but we know where it's so when did you did you go?
1: Yeah, so I so I left at the end of like the very or oh, the very start of 2020 and the beginning of January. Maybe so before to everything had popped off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Bologna, Italy. Had paid my rent for the year in advance. Was so excited. Spent two years kind of saving for this this and year away because I was also like at the time itching to move live overseas. You know. Yeah, I think from that. Being younger, growing up in the Middle East and then I'd travelled to Europe and I was like, oh, my God, this is my place. I need to, mm. to go explore the world and I actually want to be away for a long time. But, yeah, in, obviously in the end of February, March, things really kicked off mm. and the country was going into lockdown
0: mm.
1: and uh, I made the executive decision to come home. How do you feel about that decision in hindsight? To be honest, it was actually, personally, it was a good decision. I I would have I would have been sitting in an apartment for six months, not being able to leave. But I think as well, like I came back and and I was able to reassess some things in my personal life. And you know, I moved out with some friends that year, which was really fun, and started to think because like then my my degree was really coming to an end, and I actually I think the whole time that period of time I was just jumping around these degrees and enjoying them, but not really thinking forward to the, to what I was wanting to do for my career. So it was a really, 2020 was actually a great year for me in terms of of personal growth, and so I started to set my sights on a few different career options. And that's actually when I, when I came back, I felt I was connected with the founder, which is kind of how I then fell into the startup space. Interesting.
0: Because I saw, I've seen, obviously I've, I've had a, a good snoop of, of your career trajectory and it felt to me from, as an outsider looking in, almost like a logical career trajectory of, and obviously there's none of this context, which is why I it in this podcast. <laughs> 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 because on, on paper, it's like you did a law degree, great, love that, you speak French, wrote that down as one of my notes. And then there's some consulting roles, some agency work, and then you kind of go into startups. And I was like, oh, this is a really nice package, easy to wrap up. But that doesn't feel like well, actually, didn't. No. So, no, 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 no. 2020, you finished your degree. Obviously, you didn't have to do the compulsory a year away because you could Yeah. And then so you stayed here, finished that degree. And then the founder, how did you how did you meet the founder? Was that through university?
1: So it was a friend of mine who had met him through university. And he just asked me to come on and help him with some like he had a biodiversity offsetting. He was just launching his company, yeah. offsetting startup. And he just asked me to come in mainly to do some like legal work, research, and then I ended up loving it and helped write this white paper on kind of the biodiversity offsetting government scheme and Mm -hmm. the policies around that. And then also just, you know, the various stakeholders in them and the opportunities within this market. And then I think from that, I guess that was just a great connection to make. And then, you know, met heaps of other people in the startup space through that and then started then did some work for a a drone tech company and then was and then oh then I ended up working at a fintech as well so kind of moved around just I think I was still studying at this point so I still had I think a year or two of my degree and I was working for a startup in the meantime in the background I applied for a consulting role and was offered a role at KPMG. so I was oh startups is like really interesting and I love I'm, I'm loving this it's uh it was a very inspiring space and I was meeting some really cool people, but I was still thinking, oh, is this what I want to do or is this just something I'm doing in uni? And Where did the consulting drive come from? I think that was me freaking out. What am I doing? <laughs> is, is, this, is startups actually a career choice for me? Is this yeah. something that I can actually pursue seriously or is this just a thing that's happening in the background and I need a, a real job? And and while you are working at those startups, like what were the
0: roles like? Because that the kind of communications and I guess more generalist roles seemed to yeah. kind of creep into your yeah. work history around that around that time that you were helping out the yeah. so so uni.
1: well, I mean, they were really tiny, tiny. Like there was only two or three people, so it was kind of a bit of everything in the end. Yeah. I I guess there was there's obviously skill sets that that I, I had to offer more than others, but I learned a lot during that time there was a lot of article writing and mm. the yeah writing side of things. And then like speaking to customers and I don't know, it was like all hands on deck, I mm. would say. Applications for grants and pitch deck, all that stuff, which was really cool. And then I got to the end of my degree and I was still working for this, this fintech and I was supposed to start a role at a consulting firm. And I was like, no, I can't. I'm not ready. I can't do it. And I also was pretty upset still from the not being. We we went into another lockdown in Sydney, mm-hmm. and I was pretty upset. Upset still that I hadn't been overseas. So I moved to Byron Bay. Classic. The the obvious That's... next step. <laughs> <laughs> and when, uh, And so then when I was in Byron Bay, I was supposed to just be there for three months. But I loved it so much that so I was like, no, I need. To, I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to do some travel cool. and I'm going to stay in Byron. So, told consulting firm that I was coming I'll be there in a year and yeah stayed in Byron made some really great friends started to really feel at home there and then did six months saved some money and then, then went traveling for six months and I was still working for the fintech was working remote from France predominantly because I went and did some French courses and and just wanted to immerse myself and then did some other travel as well and then came back.
0: So you come back from USA. So when did when did you
1: first get introduced to Startmate? Or So it was when I was living in Byron, my housemate, who I know that you're good friends with, his, his dad, Craig <laughs> Davies. <laughs> they came up from Sydney to visit, and he kind of mentioned this women fellowship that Startmate runs. And I'd never met oh, Craig- a Startmate. Craig was the one that introduced you to the women's fellowship. Oh, amazing. So I applied for that and got in and loved it. Unfortunately, I was in Byron, so I didn't actually get to go to too many of the in-person events. But uh, when I went travelling, I met up with many different women fellows who were kind of dialing in internationally. And I think that was a really pivotal moment because that women fellowship, it just like was such an inspiring space to be surrounded by like all these women who were, you know, really ambitious really lovely people. And it kind of like reignited this, this excitement and like possibility about what I could do in my career. It was just, yeah, it was just like a really exciting as well, because I think prior to that, I hadn't really had any significant like women mentors in my career. And I just suddenly was like thrown into this space where there's all these women, similar level to me and, and above me and giving excellent advice and really there to help out. What year? What, what year did you do the Women's Fellowship? That was 2020, what was that? 2022? Yeah, right. 2022. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, So that was awesome. And I, that's also where I met Bronte McHenry, who I was like, oh my God, her job is amazing. <laughs> she works at Startmate. She is like, that is the coolest job. That's like my dream job. Startmate such a cool company. This is, I had my, I was just, and I remember man up with her and was, oh, you know, just love to hear your experience and mm. wanted to learn from her. Yeah. So that was in the back of my mind. Yeah. And then went traveling, came back, ended up working for uh, a portfolio company from mm-hmm. Startmates that, had, that was just going through the accelerator. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I realized Bronte had, had uh, wow. left Startmate. And, you know, part of the reason I loved Startmate was all the amazing content that she was putting out mm-hmm. at the time. And there was just this, like, silence on the Startmate LinkedIn and socials. And I reached out to Phoebe because I was just like, I need, we need content. There's an accelerator cohort happening right now. And I'd really love to help just write some stories on them. So uh, wrote, wrote some of those accelerator stories for that cohort. And they were published and shared. And then not long after that, a job came up. Yeah. And report. And so enters the next part. So, I mean, there's this kind
0: of concurrent theme from probably childhood through, which was, and this is going to sound like a lame English essay, but it's belonging and like finding that space. So it kind of feels... Well, it does. It feels like you're kind of no, right yeah. out of where you felt like you belonged as a kid. Didn't necessarily feel that in high school because, you know, high school's a, a tricky place, but it's not really something you choose. It's yeah. sort of chosen for you, right? And then it feels like you've found your stride by a being in Byron where obviously you've kind of built community that you really like. And then also women's fellowship probably helps you with feeling that sense of belonging within your career as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So then I, I mean, it's a natural gravitation that you would then, you know, survey being the enabler of that, meeting someone like Bronte, who is one of the most phenomenal people I've ever met, and then wanting to, to move into that role. So yeah I, it's 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 a really interesting trajectory. Whatever happened with the consultancy firm? did you just I did a i did
1: I did do a short stint there.
0: Well, oh, did you love it?
1: I think i I loved it because what I wouldn't say I liked it. I think it was good for me to have that experience to just triple check that that's not something that I want to do. You know, like mm-hmm. all my experience up until then was in startups in these like tiny, tiny mm-hmm. teams. And then, then suddenly I was in like this huge corporate. It was in, an interesting experience to observe like how a company like that runs. Mm. And there was things I, I did really enjoy about it, but I think as well, like the, the, there was a lack of autonomy that I felt yeah. and, you know, there just is a hierarchy mm. of powers and things just felt like they were, they moved a bit slower and I, and I love the pace of, of startups. So it was definitely, it was, it was a good experience for me to, yeah. to really double down on, on what I knew I wanted to do.
0: And sometimes it actually is good to just double check so you don't have the what-if kind of running through your yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is something else, Going even going back to that advice that my school teacher gave me right, which is there's, there's not this mad rush to get into your career, especially in your 20s. Mm. Try different things, figure out what you do and don't like because then you're just going to have a better capacity to understand your decisions as they come at you.
1: Yeah, life is not a race. Right, so
0: life is not a race. And it's, I tell you what, it's bloody long, you know? Yeah. Just it keeps on unfolding, doesn't it? Exactly. T- <laughs> so then you land your dream job, which is at StartMate, which is where you currently are. Do you want to uh, give us just a quick rundown of what your role is? I know that it recently changed, which is very exciting. So maybe you can Thank you. give us a rundown on what it was and what it is now.
1: Yes. So I started. So that was like a lot of the storytelling behind StartMate and kind of marketing the programs. And then it's just evolved recently into being marketing manager. Yeah. So Ooh. so now I, I mean, it's pretty similar to, it's just, I guess, an evolution of what I was doing before, but mm-hmm. marketing the programs that we offer, we're doing a rebrand at the moment. So kind of been building out that brand strategy, many other things. And then kind of with all those learnings in mind, you're
0: now in that dream job at Startmate, which is where you wanted to land. And all those lessons that you kind of gathered along the way in personal and career growth, how
1: would you describe how you operate today? It's a great question, Paul. I would say first and foremost, and I think Startmate's really good at kind of bringing this as like a really important value, I guess, for anyone who works there. But I think total authenticity is really important to me in any any context. But I think, yeah, especially in in a work context, I, I feel like I can't... Do my best work if I'm not being myself, and I right. feel like Sarm is so awesome at just being totally accepting of everyone's weird and wacky ways. So yeah. that's to start with. Like I feel like I need to come in and 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 I think as a result is part of the reason that that is such a promoted so much at Sarm is because I think then you just do your best work and everyone around you does as well. I think as well. I um There's a million things happening at once often at Sarm. Right. That's pretty pretty hectic which is also why i love it so fast paced you've got so much responsibility and you're working across so many different you know programs customer groups you know it's i love the exposure to the investment side of things founders operators different industries so it sometimes can feel overwhelming especially when there's a the lot on your plate so i think for me i'm pretty good at managing a pretty hectic workload but it's important that I, outside of work, have a very balanced lifestyle. Mm. And I think lifestyle is so, so important. I guess that's a yeah really key point here. It's having a lifestyle that accommodates for your work mm. as opposed to the, the, the reverse. And I mm. think that that's something I've spent a lot of time building over the last few years outside of my k- career, which means that work never feels like too much. And it's actually mm. quite an exciting thing to do I think this is a
0: really nice point in there and an interesting one to maybe pull out for those listening which is around understanding you know what outside of your career helps you balance your career so for you obviously for example you know living in Byron and having that kind of space where you feel like you belong is obviously going to allow you to do better work because you've got that sense of self outside of just your career which yeah. I think is a really is a really key point, and I, th- I love that authenticity piece. It's it's really difficult to do good work when you feel like your personality is being scrutinized or managed. And yeah. I think to your point, it's especially in a creative role. Yeah. yeah,
1: and I think it's really important. Yeah. Is I think over the life, yeah, the the journey, I think I've really realized how much I know. It it's just <laughs> deep down, the intuition and instincts, and I think. Along the way, you can, like, learn to ignore it or maybe you're you're kind of conditioned to to ignore it. But I think uh, just a big part of my whole journey has been learning to listen to myself and trust myself.
0: So what do you think from being in a business now where you do feel like you can be your authentic self and you're really enjoying it and it kind of feels like you've come back to that original almost pathway that you in early high school said you are interested in, which was sort of writing and creativity. What do you think you've kind of learned now
1: in reflection that kind of helps you excel in that role? I think it is to trust myself and and listen to kind of my intuition. I think there's been so many moments where I've thought I wouldn't get that job or I wouldn't, you know, get that promotion or, you know, this is not for me. And honestly, I feel bad when I was surprised, but because I'm like, you know, you should just trust back yourself a bit more and and trust yourself. And I think Startmate's definitely been a, a culture where that is really supported and so I think I've really been able to back myself in 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 the company and in this role and, you know, take lead on on things that previously maybe I wouldn't have felt so confident doing. You know, I still even had doubts about my writing, which is something I've been doing for for so many years. And it's probably one of my best skills. I, I think also the fact that I'm doing it every day and constantly getting feedback and for the most part, I think that's pretty positive. Which is nice. But, yeah, I think I'm learning more about what skills I can offer. Wrapping all of these things together, what do you think has been the toughest lesson that you've learned? Um, great question. Toughest lesson? I don't know. It's funny because I, I feel like all the lessons that I'm I'm quite a, like always uh, skew things to the positive. <laughs> I mean, I just think that uh, every single setback that I've experienced, personally, and professionally, and you know, in my, I had so many setbacks at uni. It just, in terms of frustrating situations that, you know, were totally out of my control, um, they all ended, had happy endings or they all led me to the place that I needed to be. You know, even going back to the very start of the conversation where I said, I was, you know, wanted to do a fine arts degree. If I had done a fine arts degree, I would not be where I am right now. And I love where I am right now. So I think, yeah, there's not, I'm a very, yeah, I would say I'm a quite a positive person. Yeah. At the same time, I think I am realistic, but I, at the end of the day, I'm always, I've always got hope. So rather than the toughest lesson, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned? The biggest lesson I've learned, probably like patience mm. and and trust. Because I think patience, like things don't always work out. It takes time to to build your career. Things aren't just going to change tomorrow. You have to, it's one step at a time, you know? And I think that there's definitely been moments along the way where I'm I'm frustrated because I, I have a vision of, of kind of where I think I want to be mm. and I don't know how to get there. But mm. I also found that the more patient I've been and, you know, obviously very intentional about where I'm directing my energy and what I'm pursuing, mm. but you better be patient. And then, yeah, trust. I think, yeah, just uh, trusting that it will work out and also trusting myself that, it, you know, I, I'm capable of, of a lot. I think the more I go along, I realize that. So like when something sucks or is, you know, something that's frustrating or at work, trusting that, you know, it all, it always works out. The lesson that comes from it and you grow.
0: Mm. So what is your vision for the future? What do you think is really important in the space
1: that you're working in at the moment? I mean, for the startup ecosystem in Australia and New Zealand, I think that it's a really exciting time. I think we obviously, yeah. we're still pretty young. As, a, as an ecosystem. And I think that there's a lot of growing pains that come with that. And I think, you know, one of them being the conversations that have been happening in the, the broader ecosystem about, you know, gender equality. I think Startmate... I'm really excited to be working with Startmate and, and being involved in in trying to make really positive changes. You know, the Women's Fellowship has been, an it was an awesome thing that we've done with Women's Fellowship in terms of getting more women to tech because there just wasn't enough women. And then I think now having, you know, having all these uh, brilliant women in tech, how can we support them now on their journey? And, you know, it's, that was the first step. What can we do next? And I've got a really great team of women at Startmate who are very passionate about this as well. And I think the next few years is going to be really focusing in on that as an area for Startmate that where we can have an impact. So that's, I guess, Startmate and how we can have a positive impact. I think more broadly, my vision for the future, I'd love more people to understand startups and how awesome they are because I have so many brands who are, in corporate jobs that are very uninspired and I think it's a very empowering space to be in and I'd love for uh, more people to to see that. And when you say startups like what do you think what do you think your kind of worldview
0: on on why they're more empowering or, or why they're mm. why you why you want your friends and corporates to experience that what what part of it? I think it?
1: the the agency the sense of agency that you have and the the, the sense of you're really contributing to whatever it is that you're working on, you're like actually having a tangible impact on that. You're the person who's steering the ship and there's not 10 people above you who have to sign off on what you're doing and then it doesn't even get done because there's all these other stakeholders involved. I think that, yeah, there's a lot of trust in in startups and I think that that can really help you excel as a individually, personally, and also professionally because you're just asked to step up and you do. Mm. that's a really that's a really empowering feeling Do
0: you think I mean this is something I've kind of been tossing around in my mind a lot because I guess when I sort of first started in the ecosystem potentially I I think I was probably more on your level of optimism and I think potentially we have some like similar personality traits of of liking to kind of have a bit of autonomy and, and sort of lead things but I guess as I've moved through it and met so many different kinds of people do you think there's I I think I'm guilty of telling everyone to work in a startup and now as I Mm. maybe get older or maybe just get more cynical, I'm starting to realize that not everyone enjoys that level of autonomy. And so, yes, that's true. You know, I think, (laughs) I think, well, I just, I think it's important not to sugarcoat it right and say that for some people not having a sense of, I don't want to say direction, but for some people that's just not how they work. And no, I wonder how and I wonder how you learned that, right? Without kind of, I guess, doing what you did, which is exploring both options. Mm. Because it feels like it is just it, it is a natural it's a natural fit
1: for you, right? Which is awesome, which is great. Mm. But what are your thoughts around that? I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I think some people would hate the like ambiguity mm. of startups. I love yeah. that, fact, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some people don't thrive in chaos.
0: I know it's wild. No. Yeah, that's (laughs) crazy. (laughs) Going back to another point that you made, which is this ecosystem is really, I guess, not not to challenge or push back, but I think I do agree with that. And I think that there's probably also this strange middle place. Maybe it is the growing pains that you're talking about where autonomy is great. And I I also thrive in chaos and and (laughs) having maybe less structures. But I think back to your point before around, you know, women's experiences in in startups, there's probably also a level of structure that is needed mm. from that growing pain in order in order to support, as you said, all those amazing women that are now in startups. Again, going maybe I've just gotten old and cynical, but I think I am very careful to not idealize this kind of messy startup no structure thing that I think we do have a tendency to lean on just because it can lead to shitty workplaces
1: well I mean when you you think about big corporate they have these structures for any and it's not just you know HR let's say it's Mm. it's all it's it's this huge hierarchy and bureaucracy and they are incredibly successful for it and Mm. I think that like that is what startups need and will eventually gain, you know, if they, if they become as big as, you know, yeah. a, a KPMD consulting firm, they're going to have to have those structures in place. And I think then it's almost you've got people who some, I mean, I think the best, that's why a lot of, you know, people from corporates are so great to be going into startups because they have that context to then be able to, you know, implement the, those structures. Yeah. Um, for people who don't have that, yeah, the startups, are, they can be so chaotic and i think for the success of the company and for also the safety and well-being of the employees, that Mm. stuff is important and Mm. it's just something that maybe there's a there's a gap there in in that very early stage of figuring out how to start a company with that lack of context uh and how can we step in and you know facilitate that
0: yeah yeah, and I think I look. I think that putting my optimist hat back on. <laughs> yeah, <good> um <laughs> I, you know, I do think that Sami mean, has a really exciting role to play, and especially like with what you just said, right? Which is, how do you, as a as a team of people that really care about these issues, how do you support those early stage founders and businesses? Because there's nothing wrong with the chaos, and you know that drive and kind of wanting to move forward. But I guess we. We've identified that we're probably at a point where it needs to be in line with a bit more thorough thinking to support those people within it.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's to me, it's exciting.
0: Yeah, it is, (laughs) and I think that that's a that's a great
1: that's a great way of framing it. Right,
0: is that we are what the startup ecosystem was started in, like let's say roughly 2012, comparatively to what the first VC in America was in the 40s. We are baby. We are baby and there's a lot of work to be done. And I think it's important to have people, you know, focused on understanding that work and wanting to make it
1: the best ecosystem in the world. And I do think as well, well, when you look at Australia and New Zealand, by comparison to other hubs around the world, we do have this really, just by nature of it being so small, this really cool community. Mm. And it is so small. So you're kind of like, there is this camaraderie, I feel like mateship amongst people helping each other out. And I I do hope that, you know, as we grow, that that continues.
0: Yeah, I think it will. I think that's also part of the sort of DNA of Australian culture as well. Yeah. I look I have I I have super positive views on the future of the ecosystem. And I, I agree with you. I think there's a little growing pains that I think. I'm personally like super excited that it feels like a moment in time where everyone is coming together mm. to see what we can do to make it a better ecosystem. Yeah. To make an incredible ecosystem that everyone feels safe and respected and can grow phenomenal companies in.
1: Yes. Change the world. So if you were to give me a one-liner
0: summary of what you want your impact to be in the future, what's your one-line vision of
1: Holly Brooks? 2024 mm-hmm. and beyond. Great question. I think in the context of what I know I'm good at and what I love to do in this space is sharing the stories of people and I guess that's what you're doing with this podcast, but really sharing the stories of like incredible people within the space and um, especially the women in the space, whether that be, you know, companies that are doing great things or people who are like operators that are thriving and investors who are, you know, Putting money towards things that are really important for our future so I think the storytelling side of things that's probably what I'd like to be known for is it's surfacing the the good news and the bad news stories but mostly the good news stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and on that same topic who's an operator that
1: you just think is phenomenal? Okay well I have to say Phoebe Pinkers just I mean she's obviously just moved to the chief operating officer so she's she's right up there in the operating space. But she's honestly a gun. The way that she, the energy that she brings and the kind of kindness and compassion and, and drive that she brings into work every day is insane. And, you know, on the side, she does a million other things. She's just started a podcast. She runs like 50 kilometers a day. And I think for me in my career, she's played a really important role in kind of mentoring me. And, yeah, she's, she's awesome. No, I love that. is. Alleged. And she's going places. She's going places. She's yeah. running there. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah <she's> running there. <laughs> and then let's wrap up with just some quick five questions to finish up. So, firstly, what are some of your favorite resources? What are you reading? Where are you getting inspiration? What are you listening
1: to? Okay. So, on the marketing side of things, I love this newsletter, MKT1. It's a paid subscription. You can get the free one, but it's just awesome in terms of just how to think about you know, building a marketing strategy or what, what are the best ways to get leads. It's, it's a really short and sharp newsletter that's added a lot of value to, to me, my marketing background. Mm-hmm. And then I think more broadly, I love reading. I'm a big fiction gal, but usually my fiction is, it's always set in, in a real historical time period, but with the fiction aspect. I can give you some, some example books, my shades. I was there's this Nigerian author. Uh, her name's Chippamanda Ngozi Adichie. She's no. amazing. She's written a few books. One of them is Half of a Yellow Sun. Insanely good. She's an amazing writer. She's also written a book called Americana. And it's all historically factual but with fictional characters. And then that's the same for Carly Husseini, He's an Afghan-American author. He's the one who wrote Pite Runner. But he also oh, yes. has some other really amazing books. And then on like the nonfiction side, I love neuroscience. So... I find it so interesting kind of understanding the brain and okay. why we do what we do. And okay. I can highly recommend this book, which I've read a few times. It's called The Body Keeps the Score and it's by Bessel van der Kolk, Dutch girl. And it's so interesting to like read up on kind of alternative, uh, I mean, it talks a lot about PTSD and, and depression and mental health issues, it's obviously a huge epidemic at the moment in the, in the world and kind of alternative ways to treat that that have kind of been around for hundreds of thousands of years with, you know, um, indigenous cultures, but we've kind of forgotten it. So. Well,
0: we've written it out of
1: our day to day, but yeah.
0: So interesting. I love that. Awesome. And then another one that I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you on the spot here cause you worked for Startmate, but give me a couple of startups that you're really excited to watch their trajectory. Maybe some new kids mm. on the block that people won't have heard of.
1: Well, that's a good one. Let me think. Back to last year. I mean, we've got Tina Thunder, who's a solo female founder. She's the founder of Alt Leather. She just announced a raise this week, but she has created this sustainable alternative to to leather, and she's such an ambitious and awesome individual. She's doing great things, really lovely woman, and Alt Leather, I think, is, is one to watch, especially in kind of the fashion industry, and it's the first alternative leather in Australia, so very cool. What's another cool one? We've just, we're about to announce, which I guess if this podcast gets released next week, then it's okay for me to share this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's released on a six. Um, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, so because I'm, I'm just in the, moment, in the midst of drafting up the public announcement for our most recent Summer 24 accelerator. Is this an and inside there's... scoop? Is this an exclusive? <laughs> and there is one company um, called Kite Therapy that is in our current cohort and they are basically addressing the kind of issues the the challenges for for families who have children with autism and Mm -hmm. struggled to you know uh, find therapists who can come regularly and they're obviously very expensive so this Mm -hmm. their platform empowers parents to be the the first caregiver to the the children and I think because obviously with autism early intervention is the most important thing and if you can't get In touch with a, a, an occupational therapist to come and see your child regularly, yeah. they're going to miss really important milestones in mm-hmm. learning. So, I think it's such an important problem that they're tackling. And, and it's, uh, you know, they've already got a heap of customers and are doing really great. And they actually came through our launch club, which is also cool. So, we've known them for a little while as well. Awesome. So, alt leather and kite therapy
0: for anyone that wants to,
1: yes, keep an eye
0: on those. Well, Holly, I just want to say thank you so much. I think we went on a real journey, uh, both of your career members, so <laughs> it was just great to hear those lessons and your kind of vision for the future. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the pod and we really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks for having me, ben. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it was a journey. It certainly was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's it for today. Today's episode was recorded and edited by me, your host, Philemon Newton, with original music composition by Stephen Shatton and photography by Philip Lemazuria.